The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We got our eye on the enemy here at Bleeding Green Nation, powered by SB Nation. This is episode three. I'm your host, Michael Kiss, and I'll keep this intro short and let you know that we've got a great conversation for you coming up with Benjamin Solak as he was joined by the guys from Sports Info Solutions. You may have heard them on this feed before for a couple of fireside chats. They always bring the fire. They're the director of football and research, Matt Manicharian, and a personal friend of mine, Bryce Rossler, who works as a video scout for them along with doing some R&D work. They're going to go even deeper into this Eagles matchup with the Detroit Lions coming up on Sunday with some great analytical nuggets and more. And hey, shout out to Benjamin Solak for filling in for me to do this last moment as I've been dealing with a bug for the past couple of days. We're going to try and get the second part of our Kiss and Solak preview series today. We'll see what my health permits, but either way, I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Ben and Sports Info Solutions, so let's kick it to that right now. And I am Benjamin Solak, the last person you'd expect to be hosting a podcast on this network. Not usually what I do, but as I am subbing in for Mike today, I am Ben Solak here with the boys from Sports Info Solutions. You've heard them before. You've typically heard them with Mike. You typically turn the, heard them kind of take Mike around the yard a little bit. So let's see what they do to me. Matt Manicharian, Bryce Rossler, gentlemen, say hello to the good people at BGN Radio. How are you doing? And what what's your role specifically at Sports Info Solutions? What is the work that you guys do there? And where can people find you on the internet? What's up, Ben? Thanks for having us. Uh, this is Matt. Um, I'm doing well, even though we had to suffer through another brutal Thursday night football game last night. Imagine watching a single snap of that game. I don't know. We kind of hate watch Mariota a little bit on our side. Um, it's nice watching quarterbacks that can't aim and make Gardner Minshew look like he's really a, a stud quarterback in comparison. But uh, yeah, I'm the director of football and research here at SIS. My background was as a scout with the Saints and the Browns. Yeah, head up the football department here and the uh, R&D team, and I'm joined by my trusty associate, Bryce. Hey, I'm Bryce. During the season, I work in operations side, so I'm involved in the charting of the games. And then during the offseason, I lend a hand and help out in the research and development department, carrying some, some water for the more senior analysts there. And that's pretty much the extent of what I do here. No one ever in the world sounds less thrilled to introduce themselves than Bryce. Ever since I met him, like I'm, I'm Bryce. Like, darn it, I am. I'm here. This is the worst feeling. Just imagine being inside his head because I think that's how it is all the time. Like I'm pretty sure his internal monologue is pretty much just like eh, upset about being Bryce most of the time. Woe is me. 
<laughs> did you guys like uh, Did you guys like Minshew over there coming out? Was he a guy that you thought had some run as a backup, had some potential to stick in the league? What was kind of your thoughts when he came out of Washington State? So I don't know how Matt felt about him, but I actually charted every single snap of every single Washington State game last year. Hero. I was actually not impressed with Minshew last year. I thought he was a check down machine. I didn't really see the arm talent with him, but he's he's surprised me a little bit so far in the NFL. I got to admit, uh, I don't know if he'll he'll sustain success long term as a starter or not, but he's he's definitely off to a much better start than I had envisioned for him. Yeah, uh, Nate Cooper wrote the report up on on Minshew in the Football Rookie Handbook, and I remember when he wrote him up, he kept saying, you know, like I, I don't really think this guy is all that, but but you could see it, and he kind of liked him as a backup with some potential to be a kind of win with starter. You're never going to be a, a high talent arm guy. So right. that's what we saw with him. Obviously a lot of volume in the Washington state offense, all that stuff shows up the short, short average depth of target shows up. And that's what we saw the first two games of the year. I was really concerned when he threw his first pass of the game last night, because it was like horrifically errant, but I, I guess he just slipped or something. Cause from that point forward, I thought he really separated himself as already more competent at running an NFL team, managing a game, all those sorts of things uh, in a way that that we haven't seen really Mariota put together over the course of how many years now. So I was encouraged by that. The one comp that Nate Cooper gave, and not to say that that he's the same quality player, but he kind of said a little bit of a poor man's Baker Mayfield quality to him in both the way that he kind of plays the game on the field, kind of slinging it around like an infielder in the way that he distributes the ball and kind of matriculates the offense, but then also that fiery side, a little bit of that that brash personality. Um, so you can see from a leadership standpoint where, where that came from. I've been mulling over the theory with the – you talked about the short uh, depth of target for uh, Gardner Minshew and for the Washington State quarterbacks in general. I, I've, I've been mulling over the theory that – Given Mike Leach, the head coach of Washington State, who this you know podcast heroicizes to no end, uh, we have to start talking about the checkdown as the run play, and you know because Luke Falk was a checkdown king when he came out 2018, 2019. Gardner Minshew steps in; he's a checkdown king. I just got my first look at Gordon, this this new pass for Washington State. He's checking; he's checkdown king. You know what I mean? And so it's we have to start wondering to what extent this checkdown is just replacing the run play, and how that's kind of affecting our our perspective on these guys. Obviously, you know, Falk hasn't done much. He's not going to be starting for the Jets, but that was never the plan. Minshew was a guy who I liked a little bit better than Falk coming out, but you were so worried about, yeah, just the tendency to just drop down and just go to the flats. Minshew absolutely loved that outside little smoke route, little, you know, sit route, just uh, he got off coverage and he would just throw it all day long. But if that's, if, if that's your, your high percentage, you know, three, four yard play, just, you know, kind of keep the offense on schedule and it looks like a pass and not a run. Like it's hard to knock a quarterback for that. But this is not really the, the topic of our conversation. I just like to pick these guys' minds when I do get the opportunity to. I'll throw in just on, on that point. From an analytical perspective on it, the conversation here gets kind of like to the core of like a lot of analytics conversations right now. And there are the people that say, stop running the ball. Running's a waste of time. We don't want to run the ball anymore. There are people who say that? I haven't heard that or seen that anywhere. There are other people that will say, don't throw the ball to the running back. That's that's also a waste of time. That's also not an efficient way to move the ball down the field. So it's a little bit like there's there's kind of this argument out there that if you take it to the end, it's like, okay, we should only throw nine routes every single play of every game because that's going to give us the, the highest EPA expectation, you know, like 
of what we can do. But at a certain point, you've got to dial it back and you've got to relate it back to real football. And and it's it's Mike Leach just saying you don't go broke taking a profit. You know, sure. if we're going to be happy about a five yard run, then then taking five yards that the corner's giving us based on on sitting back in coverage, um, we're going to take that every time. And so. Uh, it's kind of we always got to couch our arguments and kind of understanding like how does this actually re- relate to the game when we get a little bit carried away sometimes with these analytics ideas. Listeners to the pod will know that I like to talk a lot about constraint plays and how they're involved in an offense in the terms of we're going to run these plays to make you respect this basic tenant. You know the bubble screen to respect the horizontal stretch, respect all fifty three yeah. yards of the field, and and do we know what really the 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 peak, the apex of the balances between the constraint plays and then the big plays off the constraint plays, we don't. You know, we kind of don't know what that Chandra Sakhar limit is, but we do have coaches who for years have run constraint plays with the ideas that an offense has to have some balance in terms of the areas of the field in which it attacks, uh, and the, the quickness with which the ball comes out, the route concepts that are ran. And to, you know, it, it's very hard to imagine a swing all the way away from that will be successful. Uh, just in terms of what happens on the field. So this is why it's good to talk to you guys because you have half-baked ideas, but you don't really know if they're real. And then, you know, you get you get some, some shared perspective and you get some more confidence in your theories. I know Bryce has many times been in the DMs telling me about posts and takes that he wants to put out there but that he won't. And I always encourage him to because I think it's important that we, we, we are uh, rebellious and we are libelous and we, we, we say things that aren't true. Because it enforces thought and enforces ex- experimentation. Okay, I got to talk about the Detroit Lions. Otherwise, Mike's going to yell at me. So here we go. The Detroit Lions, of which Bryce is a fan, even though he tries to hide it. I'm exposing you, Bryce. Can't prove it. Yeah, I absolutely can. Well, the, the, Mike and I just did our Eagles, excuse me, our Eagles defense against Lions offense podcast. That dropped earlier this week. The opposite one coming out later this week. But for this particular fireside chat, uh, talking about what the, what the Lions offense is going to want to do, Mike and I ended our conversation in, in, in a common tirade against Jim Schwartz, one that we've had before, which is begging uh, for different coverage shells, is begging for trap coverage looks, is begging for a rotation of safeties, something to to disguise tendency, to spice up the the, the coverage looks and, and what quarterbacks can anticipate. Mike and I had a lot of fear that with, with some condensed formations that the Lions like to run now in 12 personnel under Daryl Bevel, they're going to be able to predictably get the Eagles in cover three and accordingly be able to dice that up. My question for you guys there is what we have from Matt Stafford so far in Daryl Bevel's offense, only two games, but he's got a long career. Middle of the field closed coverage can be one of those coverages that good quarterbacks just slice and dice up. I mean, they just rip through it. Stafford's kind of on that fence in terms of some people think he's he's, he's that good quarterback, that talented quarterback. Some people think that, you know, he's been around for a decade. He really hasn't done much winning stuff. He doesn't have incredible stats. He had, you know, a couple of really high productive seasons. But other than that, it's been middling. Stafford, in terms of the ability to take the Eagles' very simple cover three shell and rip it to shreds, do we think that he's going to have a big passing day on Sunday? So based on his numbers against cover three this year, from an EPA per drop back perspective, you would say yes. Because right now, uh, Matthew Stafford is averaging 0.23 expected points added every time he drops back against cover three this year. However, if you look at his historical numbers going back to 2017 and 2018, he actually hasn't fared that well against cover three. Uh, actually has a negative expected points added per drop back from 2017 to 18. So I suppose it depends on whether or not you buy more into his historical performance, which can be a little tricky given uh, some of the injuries he had in, in 2018, reportedly had in 2018, or if you buy more into the kind of hot hand theory and Bevel's new offense and and think that 
they're going to continue to have success against it this year, even though they haven't really faced it a lot. You know, obviously we're we're in a precarious position having to to talk about this just three weeks into the season. You only have two games, but so far he's he's shredded it this year. But if if that trend will continue remains to be seen. So uh, you said, obviously, there's there's a dichotomy here. There's a seesaw between uh, Stafford historically and then, you know, Stafford on a small sample size with a new offensive coordinator in terms of which one you buy into. Is there a feel for you guys over over time, over data on which one of those tends to be more sticky? Or is that something that's just too difficult to kind of suss out of the mess? Yeah, it's super hard to figure out because the way that that kind of interaction looks is really different between different quarterbacks and different coordinators. But what we would rely on more um, in putting together our our projections and those sorts of things and where we would see more reliable stickiness, um, as you call it, would be the, the career numbers and looking at who you've been over a larger sample Two games. I mean, we're talking about he's faced cover three 35 times so far this year. That's that's more than I think he's faced all his other coverages combined. But um, still, that's not very many. That's not very many dropbacks that, you know, over a course of trying to figure out uh, Bryce points out to me 272 times he faced it over the course of 17 and 18. So you're going to get, you got much more sample there. So that's more something that you can rely on. That said, it looks like there are positive things so far, you know, 0.23 to, you know, do a little nerd translation. 0.23 EPA per dropback is really, really good. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially saying one point added for every four, a little bit more than four dropbacks, right? Yeah, that's that's one way to look at it. You know, one way to think of it is uh, you could say per 100 plays. So 23 points per 100 plays, um, you know, that's less than two games worth. That's a lot of points to be adding over average, you know. So a zero EPA is like a four-yard gain on first down. That's about zero EPA. So it's not like zero is nothing. Zero is right. actually, you know, keeping up with the chains. So it, to be positive – 23 per 100 dropbacks, that's really good. Yeah. All I heard there really was that he's got to regress and it's probably going to happen against the Eagles. That's my main takeaway, uh, which is I selectively choose for that to be the case. But we've talked about the new Bevel offense. I said Mike and I broke it down on a previous podcast. And in terms of, of the, the positive early returns, want to get into the more nitty gritty, into the mechanics of how we've gotten some positive early returns. Uh, we have a, a couple of new personnel. Uh, they draft TJ Hawkinson at eighth overall, a move that I know Bryce loved the dearly uh they bring in danny amendola a free agent wide receiver the offensive line gets a little bit of a shot in the arm there's a drafting of frank ragnow tyrell crosby's playing pretty well in the interim for tyler lewan what has been the biggest mechanic here the biggest agent when you guys look at at the change in, in the lions offense what sticks out as something that's that's new and that's been effective so far in the early returns of 2019 so the biggest thing that sticks out to me, both from watching the team and looking at the numbers, is the rate at which Stafford is going downfield. So far in 2019, he is averaging 10.6 yards in terms of throw depth on all of his throws. Uh, that ranks fourth so far this year. And compare that to 6.6 last year, which ranked 40th out of quarterbacks with 100 or more attempts. They are throwing the ball a little further downfield, pushing the ball a little further downfield, which is something they did with success when when Stafford had his, uh, I believe it was that really good 2016 campaign Mm -hmm. where he was in the MVP conversation for a little while. Stafford obviously has, he's probably a top five arm talent in the league, can push the ball all over the field, uh, flashes some some very good deep accuracy from time to time. So that's that's the first thing that stands out to me. The second thing is the heavier use of play action that Bevel has brought with him. They went from 29th in usage rate in 2018 
using about 18% of all dropbacks to 28% this year. You know, they're still not top 10 in the league. That ranks 12th, but that that's a big difference. Play action is something that that analytics will tell you to do as much of as possible. They've definitely benefited from an increase in that and they're they're better at doing it. You know, last year when they when they went to play action, they had an EPA success rate of 49%, good for 20th in the league. Uh, this year they're at 68%, which is sixth in the league. So those those are the two things really that I look at that have have been a boon to this Lions offense so far this year under Bevel. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Matt, are those much the same things for you? Is there anything else that sticks out for you? Yeah, I mean, those are definitely the big things. Nobody's nobody's more locked in than, than Bryce on his favorite, favorite football team. So, so I got nothing to add there. I'm enjoying this podcast greatly because I just get to antagonize Bryce in front of a microphone. And yeah, so so it's deep shots and it's play action, right? And that's two of, two of the things that I really think, again, from what I understand from the general push of football analytics, we're looking for a, 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 a limit in terms of increasing target depth. And we're looking for a limit in terms of how much you can run play action and kind of where you'll stop seeing an, an improvement in the general efficacy of your plays. And so this seems to me to be very much in line with what an analytics, I should say analytics is this like kind of big catch-all, but what an analytic approach to designing a passing offense would really look like. Is that correct? Yeah, I think you look down at, you know, another really effective offense so far this year in Dallas with what Kellen Moore's done to change the offense there. It's a really similar thing. I know I'm, I'm, uh, I'm encroaching on, on Eagles country complimenting the Cowboys here, so that could be dangerous. That's all right. I'm, I've been sitting on, you know, Dallas love for that offense for a while because I can't say it. I can't put it out there. I'll get yelled at, but if there's one thing I I love it's some pre-snap motion and Kellen Moore puts his guys just in a blender it's awesome yeah and then they went from one of the bottom teams in the league to one of the top teams in the league in terms of pre-snap motion according to our charting so uh the, the eye test matches up there and it's working on the field so yeah we want to see more of all these things and I love the way that you say it like we haven't found we haven't approached what that limit is yet so in terms of finding a balance we know that we need more and more before we get there with all these things whether it be passing especially you know like you know first down situations uh whether it be play action whether it be uh shotgun usage uh for teams that, that kind of shy away from that the pre-snap motion is one of them all of these things we're we're, we're nowhere near what the kind of equilibrium point is so um, when people come in and they shake things up by doing more and more of this that's why you see you know matt stafford there's reason to believe that that 
there might be an improvement in what he's doing. You know, this the sort of vertical concepts will stretch a cover three and, and stress a cover three uh, in ways that'll make you want to get out of it. So that could be what we see going forward. Uh, you say ways that make you want to get out of it. You have not yet tested the resiliency of Jim Schwartz and his ability to call the same coverages in the same situation. Speaking of which, uh, the Eagles in the first couple of weeks of the season, they've asked a lot out of their corners. They've asked a lot out of their corners. Sidney Jones or Russell Douglas on an island. Ronald Darby on an island with even potentially no safety help over the top. And this is why, you know, I, I've been making the Jalen Ramsey joke for a while now, but the Eagles need that corner who can play on an island. When you look at the Lions receiving core, a uh, young player in Kenny Galladay, a veteran been around for a while in Marvin Jones, the new addition in Danny Amendola, of these receivers, who sticks out to you as that guy who's going to win one-on-one man coverage the most? Who's that outside X receiver who's going to give them the Eagles the most problem on those deep concepts where, you know, they'll, well, they'll leave Ronald Darby out there and say, hey, you've never made a play on the ball in your life, but how about you try this time? So in years past, I probably would have told you Marvin Jones, especially uh, after his 2017 season, the deep ball rapport that he had built with Stafford. But the numbers from last year and this year – indicate to me that the Galladay is going to give you the most ah, trouble. Baby Tron. Yeah. If ugh, God, I hate that nickname. Yeah, I figured you would. That's why I put it out there. <laughs> everybody tries to, to force the Tron nicknames. It's, it's ridiculous, but that's a diatribe for another day. Anyways, uh, if you look at Galladay's success on his uh, target rates on, on go routes, fades, things like that, 44% success rate, uh, on his targets in 2018. If you compare that to Marvin Jones, you're sitting at about 21%. Uh, I know that he he battled some injuries last year, but that's that's a pretty stark difference for me. Galladay, obviously, younger player, fast, physical, uh, can beat you up at the catch point. So he is definitely somebody that the, the Eagles will have to account for. And an, another thing is they're using him out wide a lot more this year. Mm-hmm. Last year, they they put him in the slot a lot, used him in in reduced splits, naked alignments uh, to try and get him running across the field on digs, deep crosses, especially off their play action. This year, they're kind of using Hawkinson for that, which is enabling Galladay. He's he's out wide a lot more this year, about a ten percent increase over last year. He's 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 still playing in the slot some, but he's out wide about sixty four percent of the snaps. Hawkinson's in the slot about 54% of the snaps. So you see Galladay, I, I, what I would expect to see over the course of the season is much greater usage on goes, posts, deep routes, uh, working on that vertical plane than last year. To Bryce's point, we've seen 19 outside targets versus seven slot targets so far this year for Kenny Galladay. But when we look at total points earned receiving for him, our proprietary metric here, which kind of breaks down all the different things that are going on to the play, all the things that we chart and bakes them into kind of one number, he's actually created just about as many points earned from the slot on those seven targets as he has from out wide on those 19. So even though we're seeing more usage of him out there, where I think he's, his skill set is really best utilized is when he is in that slot position. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on going forward because uh, I think he's a he's a nice high upside young player. And, and I like Galladay. And, and so we have Galladay on the outside. We have Hawkinson in the slot. So I'm curious here. Hawk taking a significant number of, of slot reps, 54% in terms of slot usage. Obviously, uh, you know, for me, my first job is to figure out if the player is good. And then my second job is to figure out kind of how valuable we want to draft him on. I know that that value drafting and positional value, relative contract size on the rookie wage scale, it's all a big thing that we talk about come draft time. The Hawkinson pick at eight, the very highly drafted tight end. 
are, is there a way we can use him enough as a wide receiver in the slot catching passes to justify a tight end at eight? Or is it really something that, you know, in terms of the value you get from tight ends, there's really it's going to be an overdraft no matter what? Or is there a hidden value in terms of the disguises that he gives you and the flexibility as a blocker and you bring out 12 personnel, but then you run more spread looking sets because you can flex them out out wide kind of. Early returns on Hawks, and it's two games, so it's far too early to say if he's a good player or not. But are we on a good pace here in terms of using him as a pass catcher to really justify picking him in the top 10? So for me, I'll, I'll go first, and then I'll let Bryce chime in. I have no issue with drafting a tight end high. If you really, think- Yeah, Matt, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, in terms of positional value, I think tight end can be really important, especially going back to your point about what it allows you to do from a personnel group standpoint. When you have somebody like TJ Hawkinson that can be a slot guy, that can be a tight end guy, it's similar to the way that the Rams have this thing where like, okay, quote unquote, they're always in 11 personnel with Cooper Cup, but Cooper Cup's almost like a tight end with what he brings to them as a blocker. I think TJ Hawkinson is kind of like the inverse of that. So far, you know, like you said, just two games, but on 12 targets, he leads the Lions in points earned, 6.9 points earned so far on those two uh, in those two games. So I think that he, as long as he brings the usage where he can be a plus player in both the running game and the passing game, and he can create matchup problems, that's what you look for for tight ends. You know, when we grade tight ends for the rookie handbook, we're looking for guys that create a, a matchup problem for the defense. That's where you get that Gronk type value from the tight ends. I'm not trying to say Hawkinson is, is that guy, but I, I do think that there's, there's, positive return so far and I categorically have no issues with drafting a tight end high yeah and to piggyback off that there was a very overwhelming sentiment in the Lions fan community that Hawkinson would have to be a Gronk type in order to draft to justify his his draft position I I don't agree with that I as as you alluded to earlier I didn't necessarily like the pick there are other players there that I would have preferred but he's performed really well uh, what he's enabled them to do with their their twelve personnel looks, uh, their eleven personnel looks has has been very valuable so far, and the early returns indicate that I might have even been low on him. Ed Oliver was still on the board. Ed Oliver was okay. Still that on hurts. Board. That hurts. Yeah, Ed Oliver goes literally one pick later. But no, I'm really <laughs> glad to hear you guys say it because and and I, I painted analytics with a broad brush, and that's on me. And I'll take that in terms of you. You know, you, it's it's very common uh, sentiment to see that's like, listen, if you're not drafting quarterback corner edge offensive line in the top 10 then you know you're wasting a pick because you're not going to begin a, a player who you know demands uh high value on the market so you're not getting as much surplus value in terms of the rookie wage scale contract but i mean a tight end can be a skeleton key for a, an offense and if anybody should know that it should be philadelphia in terms of what you're regularly getting out of their 12 personnel sets zacherts and dallas goddard flexed out wide the ability to uh, conflate coverages disguise tendencies and, and and put teams in a bind in the hurry up no huddle so i think that what, what the lions did with uh jesse james and with tj hawkinson maybe not the same degree of what the eagles have but i really like the deployment of hawkinson so far so i'm glad that we're we you know once the player's in the building is the player doing a good job for you and and, and obviously he is so that's nice um, that's a good, large overview look at the Detroit Lions offense. I want to open the floor to you guys if there's anything else that sticks out to you about this team 
early goings on in the season. I know we didn't talk much about the running game, uh, and obviously the running game does matter, and so we don't want to cast it off to the side. But the Lions 2019, better than I expected in terms of, I think the offensive line's playing pretty well. I think the defense has got some teeth to it. Is there anything else about this team that sticks out to you guys in their matchup with Philadelphia? No, just just piggybacking off our, of our discussion about Hawkins that I will note, again, small sample stuff, but right now, the Lions rank uh, fourth in EPA per dropback out of their 12 personnel, uh, a whopping 0.8 points per dropback, 78.6 success rate, which is good for third in the league. Uh, those numbers are, are up from the, the seller last year. They found ways to deploy both Hawkinson and, and Jesse James and, and be effective with it. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how uh, Jim Schwartz game plans for that. Oh, Jimbo of Detroit Valor of Detroit, uh, you know, history and and he was many years head coach. Yeah, arguably a top five Lions coach of all time, unfortunately. Well, Lions have had like you know not that many good coaches. Um, so I'm not sure how big yeah. of a compliment it is, but that's that. You know, Bryce, I'll, I'll leave you out. We've kind of had our fun picking at you here for the past thirty minutes or so. I'll, I'll cut it off. But this was uh, the boys over at SIS, which, uh, you know, Matt mentioned the the, the rookie handbook. There's really, uh, you know, the, the, there's no reason you guys should not be plugged into SIS, regardless of the level of fandom which you enjoy. Uh, and I know I'm probably doing Matt's spiel a little bit for him, but this is the sort of analysis that not only you get, but you get the conversation, you get the dialogue, and you get the football context behind it. it, it it's, it's really a tremendous product. I feel very glad putting my 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 name on it and the BGN radio name on it, certainly. But you guys, fellas, say goodbye to the listeners. Again, remind them where they can find all of your stuff. Talk about maybe some of the stuff that you have coming out in the future in terms of, uh, of I know, your, your podcast and your portfolios and your articles as well. Yeah, you can uh, find me every week on the Off the Charts Football Podcast, me and Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. We will break down all the big games every week, more of a league-wide view than just that Eagles perspective. But um, right now, the one thing that I want to point out to everybody is we have recently put out a free version of SISDataHub.com. For a while, all this data has been premium. It's, it's you know There's still all this stuff that we can only uh, share with the team clients that we work with. But we tried to give a subset of what we do, put it out there for the public to give some of the best information that you can find. So check it out on SISDataHub.com. And Bryce, what do you got? Uh, so when the season settles down a little bit and we get into conference play in college, I will be returning to more writing duties. You can find my stuff over at Lions Wire, which is the Lions affiliated of US Today Sports Management Group uh, or Media Group, whatever it's called. I don't know. Uh, you can find me over at the SIS blog and you can find me on Twitter at BT Rossler. That's R-O-S-S-L-E-R where I mostly just tweet shade it about Mitch Trubisky. Yes, and hopefully in the future about some other quarterbacks as well. But uh, again, yeah, the, not that good. Yeah, these are the SIS boys. You got to go ahead and give them a follow. Of course, I'm Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, stepping in for Mike. Hi, Mike. We hope you're feeling better. Thank you so much for joining us. We will catch you again later this week. Gene and...